Anderson Cannon with God Time here on The Breakfast Show, Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Do we still have a uh, Bible to Yes, yep, yep. So uh, New King James Version with some Mark Finley helps in it. Who said this? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, your New King James Version is just a fantastic version for Bible study. Yeah. For serious yeah. research. Yeah. It's a great research Bible. Uh, it's a great Bible for finding out doctrinal truth. Mm. It has a philosophy of translation that is based more on a word for word rather than thought for thought, mm-hmm. uh, which makes it a good, which, which, which it leaves it then open for you to study and to learn from and to interpret rather than telling you what the interpretation is. Mm-hmm. And so it's a Bible that encourages you to use your brain. Um, it, yeah, great translation right there. Mm. It's one I use. I like. I mean, I use others, but I like it. Yeah, I like the old New King James. I, I have the old one. Yeah, you have the old one. Yeah, it's the best. Sixteen eleven. There you go. All right. <laughs> um, or as somebody once said, if it was good enough for the Apostle James, it's good enough for me. Well, actually, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's not quite how yeah, it works. <laughs> they didn't speak English back then. Yeah, no. No, it had. Uh, you know. It's interesting because we hear we, we you know growing up in Australia we do know a bit of British history, uh-huh. and we know of you know some of the famous English kings, you know maybe uh, Henry the Eighth is pretty yeah. famous, uh-huh. uh, and William of Normandy is pretty famous. There's a few other famous ones out there, but do we know anything about James? Not heaps. <laughs> no, that's right. What can you tell me about James, King uh, James? Literally just the New King James Bible. That's that's pretty much all I know, actually. And that's pretty much all he did of any significance. <gasps> really? Oh, interesting. When you study the history of King James, he was a super, super insignificant king. Hmm. The only thing he did during his reign was produce an English Bible. Mm-hmm. But my question is, has there been any document that has been more influential on the world than the Bible that King James Mm. created. Massive influence. Oh, that Bible has just, you know, Mm. this is, what was it, 1611? So that's what, over 400 years ago, and people still read that particular Bible? That's true. (laughs) Yeah, slightly modernised versions of it, of course. Mm, mm. Uh, We're not reading the 1611 one right here. Some of it is so hard to read. You know, it's just all phonetic, and you're like, "What is that? What is that word?" <laughs> <laughs> it will expand your vocabulary mm. and in, and, and improve your English abilities if you uh, if you read it. And it's actually the easiest one to memorize to this day. No one has translated a Bible that is as easy to memorize as the King James mm. version. I have heard that actually. Yeah, hmm. interesting. You know what else is interesting about? I'm, I'm, you got me sidetracked, <laughs> but I'm going to stay sidetracked because it's a cool subject. The King James was not a Bible that was translated to, um, for you to read to yourself. It was to be read to others. It was translated to be read to others. So it was a Bible that was translated to be heard. I like this. It was a Bible that was translated to be heard rather than read. And this is why you'll find that when you hear it being read, it's like, wow, that's just Majestic language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's because of the translational philosophy behind it. Translational yeah, philosophy was not that many people know how to read. Everybody goes to church to listen. Mm-hmm. There are very few Bibles in the country. Uh, you probably only got one Bible per, per church. And so it was translated to be heard. So it's actually making it very accessible. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was all about it was all about making the word of God accessible. That was the whole uh, Amazing. Yeah, 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 wow, it's cool. That it's is cool. cool. You know what else is cool about it? Tell us. Tell us more. Uh King James pitted two warring factions mm. against each other to translate it. To see who was like yes. the first to do it. The Puritans versus the Anglicans. <laughs> so the Puritans and the Anglicans they hated each other, right? Uh-huh. And they'd go to war and they'd fight each other and kill each other oh, dear. and do civil war and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. And so he's going to trans- do this translation. The Puritans are like, well, you can't let the Anglicans do it; they'll corrupt it. Oh. The Anglicans are like Anglicans are like you can't let the Puritans do it; they'll corrupt it. So he said, "You're both doing it, uh-huh. and no verse is going into the Bible until you both." Agree on that Ooh, verse. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was a very smart move. Yeah. And so they were forced to fight over the translation of each verse until, like, okay, we agree on that. Wow. That's it. That is actually so what it says. So rather than being a bias, biased, yeah. it was, this is what it actually says. Oh, well done, King. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Ah. It's, and some of the guys that he had on this were just. Absolute linguistic geniuses. Wow! You know these are these are guys that could speak and read and write fluently in like twelve ancient obscure languages that sort of no longer existed and hadn't existed for like a thousand years. Man, I feel so inadequate. <laughs> you know? I mean, these are guys yeah. that were were fluent, mm. like as fluent as you are, you and I are in English in languages like Gaese. What? I've never even heard of this ancient Ethiopic. Oh. Like third century Ethiopic. That's really interesting. At a time when so many people couldn't read and write, and then you had these guys who like. They were just like, (laughs) yeah, it was like a massive uh, contrast between the two, wasn't it? And just like massive intellects Mm. and abilities, uh, particularly with languages and so forth. Amazing. And, of course, that was necessary because uh, the Ethiopians had had the Bible in their own language since possibly the first century. For so long. Mm. But it, by at least the third century. Mm. And so it could be helpful in you know, trying to figure out, well, the Ethiopians translated. I mean, who goes and learns ancient Ethiopian? Never even crossed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> who, learns, who learns modern Ethiopian? <laughs> you know? Mm. Seriously, today. Back then, though, it was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and learn. Oh, let me think. My next language is going to be ancient Ethiopian. Why not? Do you reckon, was that because... Because of their religious value, that they went, we want to understand the Bible. Do you think it had any connection to that? It was absolutely all about that. Yeah, okay. And you've got to put a big value on understanding the Bible to be that motivated. Oh, yeah. To go and to learn a language like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Huh. This has been a fun little conversation for me. All Ah, these things I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) You got you got me sidetracked. Um, I could give you. I could go on on history on this one all day long. Uh, but unfortunately, we probably need to get to our Bible study at some particular point. Today in our Bible study, we're going to talk about Jesus' healing ministry, mm. part two. Brilliant. We started part one yesterday with the healing of the woman with the issue of blood and the healing of the centurion's servant. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so we've got a bunch of verses here today that we're going to work our way through that really reveal the Jesus model of evangelism. We often talk about the Acts model of evangelism. Mm. Of course, the Acts model of evangelism was what you find in Acts chapter 2, which was doctrine, food, and prayer. Mm. This time we're going to look at the Jesus model, and they're not separate from each other. Mm. Um, you find the, 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 the Jesus model, the Acts model, are actually both the same, 
But we're going to look at a little bit of a different emphasis on the Jesus model that comes out very, very strongly in the Acts model as well. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. Matthew four twenty-three to 25. Go for it, Minnie. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Okay, so this is an interesting passage. What is it that Jesus is is uh, he's combining two things together here? What are they? Uh, preaching and healing. Preaching and healing. And this is going to be the model of evangelism that Jesus does from this time forward. This is Matthew 4. Mm. Jesus has just come out of the temptation experience in the wilderness. This is the beginning of his ministry. Where is he preaching? What location is he preaching at? Isn't it Galilee? Isn't it? Yes, he's, yeah. in, he's in Galilee. Okay, but certain locations in Galilee. So is he preaching out in the countryside like he does later on in his ministry? Well, he, he's going to the synagogues. Yeah, now isn't mm. that interesting? Mm. Okay, so what you're going to find is this big contrast between where Jesus preaches. He starts mm. in the synagogues. Mm-hmm. And then after six months, a year or so, it's like, yeah, no, we're not going to let this guy preach anymore. So then you find him preaching on mountainsides or from a boat. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, you know, a very, very effective way of being able to communicate to large groups of people. Uh, But he starts in the synagogues because that's where people are and and, and then moves on to other locations. Mm Mm-hmm. You ever wondered about that story? I'm going to sidetrack for a second. Where Jesus preaches from the boat, and why Jesus chooses to preach from the boat? Why not just stand on the beach? Well, wouldn't it be better for people hearing you? Why? Because if you're up and your voice can travel, is that a thing? That's I in my head. I don't okay, actually but, know. Okay, but, but you were on, when you're on the boat, you're at sea level, and everybody else is up. Oh, what? Here's so there's the a hill. They're going up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the audience is up. So it's like one of those theatres where, um, you know, everybody's sort of up. Isn't your but voice just amplified somehow? On the water, your voice just carries forever. Yeah. That's the funniest thing when you're doing a little bit of sailing and you, and you anchor up somewhere for the evening and you have some people that come in that don't know much about boats and they don't realise this. Yeah. And they start having private conversations. Oh, yeah, that's so true. And, and then you everybody who's anchored up in the bay can hear everything <laughs> that they're talking about. It's like, ooh, we didn't know they felt that way about us. <laughs> so true. I've actually heard that and you're like, oh, I don't know that they can hear us. Oh, <laughs> like that they know. That, mm. Yeah, you can even hear a conversation over the over an outboard motor. You've got two people in a tinny and an outboard motor. Amazing. And you can hear the two people talking, hear their conversation together. Yeah, because, mm. of course, they yell at each other a little bit because of the, mm-hmm. the engine noise. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> it is funny. So Jesus is like, yeah, just push out from the edge a little bit. My voice is going to carry over trick. the whole coast. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah, it's a cool story. I'm sidetracked again. I'm very sidetracked. You can't blame me for that one. Bible study. No. no, I can't. <laughs> I will blame you for the last one. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Okay, so he is healing and preaching. That's his model. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew 9, verse 35. Says, 
Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Okay, preaching and healing. He's still at it. Yep, that's his model. Why do you think that Jesus does this particular model, and how should we go about copying it? So first, start with the why first, so, yeah, and then so we'll why come does to the he do how. It this particular way. Uh Look, my belief, I, th- I think physical and spiritual is often very connected. And I think he he's speaking into every person's life, right? You, you have the people who need the intellectual understanding. He's like, right, he's, he's going, I want to reveal to you who God actually is and what these scriptures are about and what I'm here for. But then there's also the very physical needs that that's also part of the character of God, right? That he is moved with compassion and that he has come to bind up and you know here like this is i know i think it's just it's part of the prophecy of what jesus was going to do and also because so much physical spiritual is connected you look at how much in the old testament when god goes okay i'm going to give this physical symbol for this spiritual thing that's that's my absolutely no that's you are (laughs) you are right on the money and you see that same model coming through we talk about the axe model of evangelism of being uh doctrine food and prayer Mm. And immediately after that story and 3,000 people being baptised as a result, you have the healing of the lame man. Yes. It's the next thing that happens. Mm -hmm. And so you have this combination taking place between physical Mm. and spiritual needs. Yes. You were talking about the close connection between our spiritual experience and our physical experience. Mm. I'd use the word inseparable. Yep. You yep. cannot separate one from the other. Mm. And God is concerned about our physical as well as being concerned about our spiritual. Yeah, totally. Because both impact on each other. You know what it's like when you're ill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just don't have that connection with God. It just doesn't, you know, the, the experience is not the same when you are ill. And the more ill you become, the more challenging it is to maintain that connection with God. And God's like, okay, physical health and spiritual health go hand in hand. Mm. And our world is recognizing this today. There are so many who work you know, in the medical field who are restricted to just the physical. Mm-hmm. And they recognize that they are restricted to just the physical and that they can only minister to the physical but they recognize that there is a whole spiritual dimension there that needs to be addressed as well, mm. which is why we have you know things like chaplains and so forth that are so heavily involved uh, in spiritual healing. Mm. And, of course, there's good you know evidence-based science that backs all of this up now. And actually, that's just reminding me of something. I remember doing a um, – uh, well, I was at something for uh, a person that I knew, and it was like a – Essentially a therapy program. It was like a, what are those, like 12-step programs? Oh, yep. And they were just talking about the fact that um, they were not Christian in any way, but they still used to pray. Well, look, they used to pray to the God or goddess of your own understanding. I was like, oh, interesting. But the reason they did it was because they said when they took out any spirituality, it just did not have the same success. Oh, absolutely. Because which is really interesting. If you talk to David Haupt about it, mm-hmm. and uh, he's talked about it on a number of occasions uh, before you're part of the show, how because he's, you know, that's his field, mm-hmm. his um, twelve-step programs and so forth. Um, the 
they have experimented with making secular versions of that. Mm-hmm. It's just not the same. And it has success. never worked. Yeah. It, it, it's not that the success is less. The success is actually zero. Wow. Yes. Oh, that's so significant. It's that dramatic. Mm. You take the spirituality out of a 12-step program like Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, um, whatever it might be, you take the spirituality out of it, the success doesn't just you know go down by a percentage. It actually it vanishes. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh. You'll have to ask David Haupt about it next yeah, time we get him back wow. on. He will, uh, he will share all of that research with you. Because they did, you know, it started out as a faith-based, Alcoholics Anonymous yes. and 12-step program start out, started out as a faith-based program. Mm. And because of its incredible success, there are a lot of people like, well, you know, we want to be able to minister to people who don't have a faith. Let's make a secular version of this. And so they did. It didn't work. And they just took out the spiritual component. And year after year after year, they've got years of evidence now, it completely crashed. Wow. Moral of the story is you can't pull yourself out of the mud by your by bootstraps. Your... Yep, yep. You need somebody else. You need a higher power. Hmm. You need Jesus Christ, the ruler and the creator of the universe, to drag you out of the mud. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going to next. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. Please, Minnie. Okay, and this is Jesus speaking. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Okay, let's give this a little bit of context. If you go back to verse 5, you know, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go to the way of the Gentiles or into any of the uh, any city of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then says this. Mm. So Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples for quite a period of time now. He's been training them on a daily basis. Mm. And he's like, okay, now it's your turn. Off you go. Go and preach. And what is it that he tells them to do in verse 7? What does he say to do do in verse 7? He says to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay. Uh, stop there before we go any further. Is that relevant to us today? Yes. Is the kingdom of heaven at hand? Yeah, for sure. Is it more relevant than it was 20 years ago? Oh, I think it was still relevant, but I tend to think we are in the last days. So We're 20 I years think- closer, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, so Every still, year that goes by becomes relevant. another year relevant. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Okay. Then you go to verse 8. And what is the second thing that Jesus says to do? To heal. To heal sick, cleanse lepers, which yeah, it's still sort of a healing, but yes. raise dead, cast demons. Cast out demons, sorry. Freely you have received, freely give. I love that. That's cool. And then what do the disciples do? They go out. They go out. They heal the sick, they preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, until they come across a demon that refuses to go, and that's another whole story. Mm, mm with another whole lesson contained in it. However, what we have here is not the Great Commission, but the First Commission. Yes. It's kind of the same as the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And Minnie, you had a question about this one during the break. I did. Basically, at the end of Matthew, we have what we know as the Great Commission. So we go to Matthew 28. Yes. Uh, verse 18 to 20. 
simply says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded um, commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we, this is what I have often heard as the Great Commission. That's right. Which is the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission. It's, it's That's biblical. what we call the Great Commission. Um, but in Mark 16, verse 15 to 18, very similar, except there's some other things. This one is, he said to them, go into the old world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will, re- they will recover. So, yes, is this less of a great... Well, why don't we talk about this? Why don't we heal like this? Like, what's the... What are we missing? I think that's the question right there. Okay. That is the question. Because this is, as you said, this is the model that Jesus gives, preach and heal. That's right. And we have these two gospel commissions, which are both saying preach, both saying go to all, but it's more Marx that talks about that healing, and that's the one I don't hear a lot about. The one Marx talks about the healing and the miracles, and uh, Matthew doesn't. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make either one of them wrong. No. It just means that one has more detail than the other. Yes. And we leave out the extra detail. Yes. Why? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think part of the reason is a lack of faith. Hmm. I think there are a, a bunch of different reasons. I think that one of the one of the major reasons here is a lack of faith. Mm-hmm. I think that God could and would and wants to do far more through his church than what he is, mm-hmm. but we are far too busy looking at each other and talking about each other rather than looking at Jesus and talking about Jesus. We are so distracted by you know our little cliques and our churches and our communities that we create that we cut ourselves off from the source of power, the Holy Spirit, that enables these kinds of miracles to happen. Hmm. Oof, that's some rebuke. But I, I don't disagree. There has to be an answer here somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't find an answer anywhere else. Mm. And because there's oh, – someone said to me once, the power is in the command. So if God or Jesus commands it, there is power to do it. But not there, in my power. Yes. In God's power. There's also – there's also a misunderstanding that arises from... So this that's the first part of my answer, and that's the most important part. Mm. Okay, now I'm going to give a different perspective. There is a misunderstanding that arises as in, in relationship to these verses based on what people observe in the world mm-hmm. and within their church and within Christianity and so forth, which if you if you buy into the misunderstanding can create a lack of faith. So when you read this particular passage here, and it talks about all of these you know, signs and wonders and miracles and so forth that will follow, follow the disciples that will be part of their preaching, um, the question that arises is, okay, how often should you see this? Mm. Is this a situation where everywhere you go as a believer in Jesus Christ, every person is healed? Now, we kind of feel that way, and the reason that we kind of feel that way is that there were instances in the Bible where that did happen. Yes. Where Jesus went to a town, and when he left, there was no one sick in that town. But 
does that mean that sickness never came back to that town? Mm. No, those people aren't still alive today, so obviously sickness did. There are stories in the Bible where Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Does that mean that those people are still alive today? Mm-hmm. No. no. They got old at some particular point, or they had an accident, or they caught a disease, and no doubt they were prayed for again, and yet they died. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think that we expect more than what the verse actually says. Yes. We read our own implications into it. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, these are the signs which will follow those that believe. They will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. Um, they will take up serpents if they drink any deadly thing. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall be recovered. Um, and it talked here about, I've lost it right here. I'm sure it said um, talking about raising the dead. And if you think about raising the dead, how often do you have that in the book of Acts? Do you have that in Acts? Twice. Oh, you do. Yeah, you have the guy who Tabitha falls out of the window. Tabitha and yeah. Eutychus. Yeah. That's twice in about a 70-year period. Mm. So this is not something that is happening a lot. We kind of assume that every person who was dying was healed. No, that wasn't the case. Mm. There were circumstances where everyone got healed and other circumstances where only one person got healed. Oh. And so we need to remember that context and not become discouraged, but also look at our own lives and be challenged. Mm. That's a really good point. Yeah. So we not become discouraged, but be challenged because these are the kinds of experiences that we are actually supposed to uh, see and experience within Christianity and within our lives. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.